And it's great to have you here with us on Memorial Day weekend. Great to be celebrating with you. Great acoustic set package. That was fun, wasn't it, too? And need to just worship in a little different way and make sure that God is being made much of uh, always as we worship him, right? We're in a series now called Gospel Deep, His Glory Elevated. His Glory Elevated. And uh, we've been walking through the book of Romans. And uh, so now we're in Romans chapters uh, 9, 10, and 11. Yep, we're going there. And uh, we're going to walk through Romans 9, 10, and 11. And you know what? There's a lot of clarity to what's there. And then where there's not, let's just hold that loosely, the mystery of God. And we're going to allow him to be awesome and huge and mysterious at some levels and then super clear at other levels, right? And so we're walking through uh, this series now called Gospel Deep, His Glory Elevated. And we're looking for God to be made much of. Here's my request, same as last week might be listening to some of this along the way and you're like, okay, that is not the God that I believed in. Like, that's not the way I understood it. And uh, so here's my only request. Answer this question. Where did I get that from? Where did I get that view from? I mean, is it like logic? Like I kind of was figuring it out over pancakes one day and I'm like, that's how the universe works. Right. And like, I'm locked in on that. And my logic has to be, or maybe it was, no, this is the way it's been taught in my family and my mom and my dad and my, my grandparents and every, or maybe it's, this is the church I was raised in and what they said. And here's my request. Those are all nice things. Those are all fine things in and of themselves for a part of it. But please let's take God's word. Let's lift it up and it must come first preeminent over everything. Just let God's word speak and let's see what he has to say. And all of God's people said, that's where we're headed. All right. It's simple and it's clear. We're just going to let the word talk. If it challenges something we're thinking about, then we need to be a little challenged. Okay. And so Lord, help me in this. And Lord, I want to worship you in this. That's where we're going. All right. So two words, sovereignty, responsibility. We talk about God's sovereignty. We talk about man's responsibility. And those two things kind of must stand in tension. In fact, God's sovereignty, Romans chapter nine, man's responsibility, Romans chapter 10. Okay. And we see them standing side by side as God delivers it. Right now we're walking through God's sovereignty. Uh, right now we're walking through God's sovereignty. Right now we're walking through what? Don't forget, man's responsibility is also a part of it. And we're going to get there and how the two tie together and what's going on. Okay? So God's sovereignty first. Why? Because that's what he wrote first. Romans chapter 9. We'll get to Romans 10 in a little bit. All right? And uh, so today we're looking at God's sovereignty, specifically the sermon titled, His Glory on Display. His Glory on Display. This is going to be a huge day if you let this really settle in his glory on display so that's what we're going to be looking at today romans 9 starting at verse 14 we got the ushers coming forward with bibles in their hands if you need a bible just raise your hand and they'll get one to you all right we're going to go verse by verse through this a uh, handful of verses starting at romans 9 verse 14 just be patient keep your hand raised they'll get there All right, so God's glory on display. What things do we see? What glory do we get to grasp? Here we go. First one, God is never 
unjust. God is never unjust. Or to say it to the positive, God is always just. Right? God is never unjust. Huge deal. And starts out in verse 14. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Okay? That's pretty clear. Is there injustice on God's part? And Paul's not like, I don't know. I need to check. Or... I don't I'm not sure I right by no means that's a simple answer and okay but we never really understand the text until we understand the context right and so make sure you keep getting to know that little phrase we never understand the text till we know the context and so we're going to look back a little bit here what's he talking about why did he ask this question and uh, it starts in Romans 9 verse 1 It goes verses 1 through 5 where Paul is like, I'm telling you, it breaks my heart as I watch all of Israel that had so much with God and yet they're not trusting in Christ as Savior. Why are they not coming to Him? Why are they not believing? My heart breaks for them. And why aren't some saved? And that's a huge question, isn't it? It's an awesome question to ask. It's a deep question. And just so you know, the answer can only be partially answered because much of it lies within the greatness and the grandeur of God. But Paul does reveal some to us here. And so the question is, why not some saved? And then he goes through a statement. Um, Just so you know, verse 6, he says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Uh, Do you get that? He's like, it's a big deal, man. That doesn't mean that the words of God, the promises of God, his written truth has failed. It's not that because some of Israel isn't saved that we shouldn't trust anything anymore. It's not that. In fact, he goes on to prove why it's not that. And that's the rest of Romans chapter 9. That we can trust in his word. That God is at work even when some, even of Israel, is not believing in Christ. All right? That's what he's proving. That's what he's walking through. He then walks through a couple of proofs. We're not going to go through the details of that. We did that last week. If you were not here or did not catch that or need to catch that again, that's online for you. Feel free to grab that. All right. Um, but verses 11 to 13, Paul's pretty much understanding what it's going to do. He says, although they being Jacob and Esau were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. In order that God's purpose of election might continue. In order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not, or it says, but, uh, yeah, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. See, some would want to say it's not about works, it's about faith, which is very true, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and they want to overload it into this verse. Not because of works, well then it should say, but because of, it should say faith if that's what he was getting at, but that's not what he's getting at. He's saying it sits in the very hands of God, not because of works, but because of him who calls every man standing in rebellion against God in sin. Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. Shaking a fist, refusing to come, done with, don't want to hear it, not seeking him. And yet some do believe, and it depends on him who calls, it says. It says right after it, uh, she was told the older will serve the younger. The choosing of Jacob being used and worked with 
for his glory, for God's glory. He recognizes that these verses are going to cause a stir. Paul's like, hmm, I wonder what questions they're going to be asking. I bet the first question is going to be, what shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? Right? Like people hear that God's choosing someone out to work with them. Granted, all of them standing against him, but all of a sudden he's chosen one and he's working with them. What's with that? And so here's the battle cry. That's not right. How many times have parents heard that statement? That's not fair. He has more peas than me. Now we never hear that. We never, we never hear that. But that's not fair, man. How come? And, and what's up with? And, and that's not fair. Be careful. The statement that's not fair is a judgment statement. So better way to phrase it. God, help me understand. Okay. And, uh, is God unfair? Paul answers it by no means. So I'm going to need you to answer that out when I read the question. Here we go. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. God is fair. God is to be trusted. God is awesomely just. He is right in everything he does. We can depend on him. He is in the right in the midst of this. And um, I just wrote this down. We can seek to understand God, but never seek to judge God. There's a major difference. We can seek to understand God. That's asking some tough questions, willing to hear some things, but never seek to judge God. It's presuming way too much on our part about how awesome we are when we aren't all that. Okay. And uh, oftentimes we look at God. This is something I was thinking about this last week. We see the character traits of God. We pull his character traits away from him. Goodness and justice and all of the righteousness. And we pull that away from him and we set it over here and we're like, these things are good. They're God things. Now I come over here with them and I'm like, now I'm going to try to judge you, God, against them. I'm going to see if you measure up. I'm going to see that. That's my, I'm going to try to measure you against your own traits. And, and, uh, another phrase, Hey, God never breaks the rules. His ever consistent presence defines the rules. God never breaks the rules. His ever consistent presence defines the rules. And we got to not shake a fist at him. When we don't understand, I guarantee the problem is on our side. And uh, God never breaks the rules. His ever consistent presence defines the rules. May it never be. It can't be. It isn't true. Forget that. That's not where it's at, right? How many different ways can we say it? It isn't so. God is absolutely to be trusted. There is nothing wrong in his decisions. He is righteous. He is just. He is good. He is holy. And anything where it looks like he isn't is a problem in perception on our side. That's what Paul's saying. That's a pretty heavy verse. And a uh, big deal. I remember when uh, our kids were growing up and uh, we would work with them on things they needed to adjust. They were often so good. And, uh, but there were times where we had to correct things. And, and uh, my younger daughter, Alyssa, uh, a strong um, 
perfectionist of sorts, even at four years old, and uh, wanted things right. And I remember a number of times where Jonna would say, hey, hey, Lissa, honey, like, we can't do that now. It's going to have to be like this, and this is, and not like that, please. And, and then we'd have to walk through, and, and, it, and then Alyssa would come back with this statement, head down. She had these awesome cheeks, man. She could pout like, awesome. <laughs> and she looked down, and she's like, mommy, you hurt my feelings. By telling me I was wrong. Is that an awesome turn? Like forget what's right and wrong, man. Do not converge upon my feelings and make me feel bad about me, right? And how often isn't that us? Where we're like, seriously, God, I don't want to hear I'm wrong. That hurt my feelings. And and I'm not going to address the thing I need to address. I'm going to address that you're addressing me about the thing I need to address. I think I'm going to do that. And Right? Let's be careful how often we shake a fist at God when really we just need to try to understand more or even be patient in the fact that we won't. God is just, always just. And a uh, question, do you trust your God? Are you willing for his call to be the call? And know that he has your best in mind and you're working with him and he's in charge? That's where we're called to be. He is just. First part of his glory. Second, now we tighten up the belt a little. God is free to have mercy as he wills. God is free to have mercy as he wills. We see starting in verse 15 here. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. He's answering the question. The question is this. Why is it that you had mercy on that one and not this one? God's answer. I will have mercy where I have mercy. Oh. Oh, well, that cleared it up then. Right? And so if we just read that, I'm just telling you, we read it and we're like, it sounds a little bit like because I said so. Doesn't it? And we're missing something in it when we do that. Just so you know, this is a quote from Exodus chapter 33. So if you want to turn with me there, feel free. If you want to just listen, that's great. We're going to be there for just a few minutes. But we are going to camp in Exodus 33. So the Bible starts out Genesis, Exodus, right? So you're going to that second book, 33rd chapter. And uh love hearing the pages turn. I'll just set it up while you're turning. So this is Moses at Mount Sinai. This is after he's taken the Israelites out of Egypt right? With God's help, he's now gotten them out of Egypt. They've been doing a little bit of wandering. They're up on Mount Sinai or they're right at the foot of it. And Moses is up on top. He's getting the 10 commandments. In fact, he's already gotten the 10 commandments once. All right. He went up to Mount Sinai. He got the 10 commandments and spent an awesome time with God. He was beaming with God's glory as he spent time with the almighty God of the universe. And as he comes down the mountain, he enters a ridiculous party going on where they couldn't wait for him to come back from God. So they took all their gold and they piled it together and they melted it and they formed it into a golden calf and they began worshiping it and sinning against God with all they had. Can you imagine worshiping 
something you just got done making out of gold. Like, what are they thinking about? Wouldn't one guy at least go, didn't we just make that? I don't think it's that awesome. Like, wouldn't you think at least one guy? And yet, how often do we actually go and worship well, the job title we've got that we made? Or the money we're gathering or the possessions we own or the, and our idols become the very things we can create. So much like it and yet just not out of gold probably. And, uh, so Moses is dealing with that. He comes back down. He sees the sin. He sees the rebellion. And the first thing he does is he, he doesn't just set the Ten Commandments down gently. <laughs> Smash! And he smashes the Ten Commandments. And I don't know what, you know, Whoop up, right? Ten commandments are done and it's all over. Now he's going back up to Mount Sinai to talk to God and plead with God. God has said, I will not be with you in the wilderness now. I will not have my presence with you as a people as you turn against me. And Moses is going back up now on behalf of his people and really for a second set of tablets too. And uh, and he's like, hey, we need to work this out, God. And, and what do you want done? You're in charge. And that's where we pick this up. And, and, um, Moses asks for three things. I'm just going to go very specifically to the third thing. He starts in verse 18. Moses said, uh, please show me your glory. Please, Lord, show me your glory. I want to, I, I want to be stunned with who you are, God. And some of this is in reverse to the people below who said, forget about your glory. And Moses is like, I care, God. I Show me all that you are. And uh, God's answer. Verse 19, he says, all right, I will show you my glory. It's in three parts. Number one, I will make all my goodness pass before you. All my goodness pass before you. Uh, how much of his goodness? Yeah. Uh, just so you know, that was going to be way too much. And so God ends up setting a plan up later. We won't look at it in detail here, but he ends up saying, dude, I'm going to put you in the crevice of a rock and I'm going to kind of almost shadow it and cover it so that my glory doesn't pour over you because it would kill you. And all my goodness will pass before you and you can't handle it. But as I come by, as I'm getting past you, the remaining glory that's there, the little bit you can handle is going to stun you with who I am. And notice this, as he shows his glory, it's his goodness that he's passing before him. All right? It's not his wrath. It's his goodness. And uh, next, he says he'll pass all of his goodness before him. Then it says, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Uh, just so you know, there is something different about you and I proclaiming the name of the Lord and the Lord himself proclaiming the name of the Lord. Like, I can't imagine what was going down in that moment as the thunderous presentation of who he is speaking to the very soul of Moses hits him to the core. I just wrote these words. Powerful, penetrating, clear. That's what's going on. You're going to know who I am as your soul is opened up to the clarity of me. He then says, here's who I am. Yahweh, 
right? In the Hebrew, it means I am. I am that I am. That's who I am. I am that I am. It means my existence from eternity past to eternity future depends not on you or on anything else. I exist. In fact, it would be ludicrous to assume that I would ever not exist. That's who I am. The severity and the authority of the presence of God as he delivers out. Nothing am I dependent upon. Everything is dependent upon me. I am declared over Moses to the center of his soul, making clear his glory. God Almighty. His goodness so much he couldn't handle it. His name so authoritative and powerful that he finally grasps this one thing. There is nothing in all of creation greater than you. There is nothing in all of creation that gives us even an inkling of who you are. You are awesome. And that's only the second step. You want to see my glory? He then says, And here's the third part of my glory. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. You're hearing it? It's the same phrase that was just quoted in Romans 9. Here's my glory that I am righteous, holy judge. I stand over everything and I am good and true and to be trusted. And I tell you this. Everything standing in rebellion against me. And it is my choice alone as to where and when I dispense mercy. You can't even begin to comprehend what I'm accomplishing right now. My glory. I will have mercy where I have mercy. It's a huge statement. He says... Nothing in all of creation dictates to me where I have mercy. You don't even begin to understand what I'm doing. My glory is being put on full display and there are things being accomplished that I can't even begin to explain to you. My goodness has to be hidden from you until I'm almost gone from you. That's how little of me you can handle. I am. Trust me. Mercy is mine to call. And why is he saying this? Well, because Moses has run up to Mount Sinai the second time to try to be more merciful than God and call out that he needs to forgive. He's trying to correct God in this moment a little bit too. And God's saying, hear me now. You need to be worried about your own soul with me. I've got the universe under control. And mercy will be dispensed as I dispense it. I so understand what's good and true and just and right and appropriate. And I will be doing amazing things in this as I display mercy, as I will have mercy. Everybody say that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And, uh, And this is where we all struggle with it a little bit, right? We're like, I don't know, man. I mean, I appreciate it. You tried to say that pretty passionately, but I got to tell you, 
I still want to hold them guilty and say, that doesn't seem really loving. I want him loving all people. I want him doing the, I need you to be love. And, and I'm just going to tell you, there's some things we're going to work out on this as we walk through it over time, uh, this next couple of weeks. But one thing, as we talked this week, I was talking with a couple of pastors, with my wife, and here's one of the things that came out. Check this. When the angels are worshiping before God, one of the pastors on our staff pointed this out. What did they cry out about him? Was it love, love, love? Holy, holy, holy. That's a big deal moment. When the angels are before God Almighty, their cry of all cries is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's his name, the I am, right? There is no one like you. You are perfect. You are awesome. You are stunning. I cannot imagine a purity beyond your purity. And from that justice and from that purity spills an amazing love. God is love. He is goodness. But please don't ever make that the top shelf number one thing. It is expressed within the midst of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Man, our God in America is a little G God with too little holiness and too much of that love that we call love, which is really just ignore all that's wrong. Are you hearing me? A massive holy God who understands purity and justice like never before. And the things that we deserve, we can't even imagine. And our God is love. And he is goodness. And the reason we can't wrap our arms around it is we got a little too high a view of self and a little too low a view of God. Let him be the almighty holy king who is worshipped. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah comes into his presence, he drops to his knees and says, Woe is me, I am undone. That's the power and the purity of our God. Don't ever lose that facet of him. Don't compartmentalize so that gets put away and then we just start talking about him being love. He's all of it, all at once. Let the complexity of that work together and your God will get huge, okay? All right. One last thing about Exodus, chapter 34, verse 8. It shows Moses' response. It says that Moses bows his head and worships. In the moment where God's glory is made clear, in the moment where his vastness is expressed, his authority is placed over everything, his goodness is so overpowering you can barely taste it with his declaration that mercy will be declared as he sees fit. And that's his glory. Moses, like Isaiah, undone and bows and worships. The Almighty King. This statement in Romans chapter 9, as we go back there now, is a call to worship. He says, For I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. It is God's glory to choose where mercy is dispensed. And every moment that we say, Hang on, hang on, hang on. I think he's wrong. He should have also dispensed it over here. We're beginning to take his glory to ourselves 
and say, I will be like the most high. Let me begin to make those decisions for you, God, and hold you accountable. We can't even begin to understand what God is accomplishing. Can't even begin. May we stand before him, head bowed, worshiping him for his awesomeness. And let God reign. It is his glory. Amen. I was weak. Amen. Amen. That's what this passage is all about. His glory on display. And uh, God does dictate where mercy and where wrath are dispensed. And it is his glory to do so. May we allow him to have that control. Simple question. Do you worship that God? Are you willing to have him in control of your life? Knowing that he is good. So much goodness we can't even have it dump all on us. It would unwind us. He is just. He is right. He is true. And he is an amazing God of mercy. As he's reaching in. Worship that God. Head bowed. Even if you're still trying to figure it out. God's great with that. Lord, I'm trying to hear you on this. Lord, what are you doing in this? Those are fine questions. It's just don't go across the line to shaking the fist and judging him. Lord, help me understand a little more of you. I can't wait to worship you and everything you reveal. May God be glorified. He is just. That's part of his glory. He will have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. That's part of his glory. And number three, God's choice of mercy determines who is saved not man's will or exertion. God's choice of mercy determines who is saved, not man's will or exertion. I'm just going to tell you, uh, this verse is what did me in. As I was reading through this and wrestling through this in the past, when I hit verse 16, it stopped me in my tracks and I had no answer. Verse 16. So then, everybody say, now it's a summary. So then, It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So let's break it down. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion. It's not what I'd want. It's not what I do. It's nothing about me in that regard. All right? So so wait a minute. I I want to describe it as I choose God. Like from my rebel mode where I'm not seeking after him, somehow I all of a sudden reverse position and I choose him. And does that work with this passage? It doesn't work. It says it does not depend on your will or your exertion. Well, okay, how about this then? God chose me, but it's because he looked down the corridors of time and he wanted to see what I would do with my faith and he saw that I would believe and so he chose me. Is that not just another way of saying it's about your will? It's just a future will. But it's about me. And I choose. And then God's secondary choice follows it. That's missing the glory of God. He will have mercy on whom? He will have mercy. God does lift up and pull some out and incline their hearts towards him. And they rush towards him in worship and belief and confession and faith. That's what's happening. It's an amazing explanation of God's sovereignty over everything. And uh, 
Notice it says, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. If you want some other supporting verses to that, John chapter 6, verses 37 and 44. Um, we don't have to turn there, but those are phenomenal verses that explain the Father drawing and whom the Father draws will come. Mercy. That's what it looks like. All right? And, uh, okay. Great. I see you walking through this, Tim. I see that. I, I, I don't know what to say because it is what those words are, but I don't like that. And I'm not sure how to even handle it. How do I explain that other passages say you need to believe, you need to have faith? How do I put those together? All right, let's put it together for a second. All right? So here we go. I'm just going to label off six phrases, put them in order. You might want to write these down. Here it goes. Number one, creation. God creates us. Creation. Number two, fall. We all refuse him. Every single human being refuses him. All. Uh, how many refuse? Please understand that that is a, such a deep biblical moment. Romans 1 through 3, all refuse him. Number three, there is judgment for that choice of refusing him. There is judgment. All deserve his wrath. All deserve his wrath. So creation, fall, judgment. Number four, mercy. He chooses to pull some out and display his mercy, his glory. He chooses that. He chooses to work with some and show them who he is and have them run towards him. And uh, so creation, fall, judgment, mercy. Number five, faith. Those that he has chosen now rush to him and worship. Those that he has chosen now rush to him and worship. Are you hearing it? Creation, fall, judgment, mercy, then faith. And, uh, how do you know it's that order, Tim? We're going to see it roll out here in Romans 9 and 10. I'm giving you a little precursor, but I know a lot of you have been chomping at the bit trying to figure that piece out. And it's a big deal. You hear it. We're going to explain it. Okay, be patient as we move along. Creation, fall, judgment, mercy, faith, and then the last one, his glory. His mercy and wrath will be on display the full extent of his glory now shown. Check this. When everything is perfect, there is no sin. Well, then there is no need for wrath or mercy. Are you seeing that? And so even in the midst of sin coming, God was just able to put more of his character on display. God in his glory. That's how it ends. All for his glory. And uh, just so you know, I recognize there's a lot of tough questions and we want to help you through some of them. And others of them were like, yeah, that can't be answered this side of heaven. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the mystery of God. We're going to be doing some things like June 8th, Sunday night and June 10th, Tuesday night. Whichever one you want to come to, please join us. We're going to spend a night. Uh, it's going to be the same content on either one. But we're going to spend a night, about an hour and a half to two hours. And we're just going to walk through some more of this in detail, answering some of the tough questions and trying to help people move along on that. All right. June 8th, June 10th. We got all the impact groups rolling in for those two nights. Whole church invited. Come join us. We'd love to have you be a part of it. All right. We're going to be walking through this and making it clear in as much as scripture makes clear. Everybody hear that? So we're not making up a house of cards of the world according to Tim. Everybody get that? Everybody say it's not that. We're just going to look at what the word says. And I'm going to leave you with some tent poles of clarity on some things that have to be true. And then we'll move from there.
Okay? We're going to make this as clear as God has made it and not more. Creation, fall, judgment, mercy, faith, his glory. That's how it flows. The faith following as God mercifully reaches in. And I just put this note down. This is a guy named William Cowper. He was a poet in the 1800s. His statement was, I know everything about Christianity. I can quote back to you what it's about. I just can't believe. I just don't. There's something that can't. My faith won't. And I... He ended up, in his words, introspective, depressed, faithless. And then one day he picked up the word again to read it as he read Romans chapter 3. And all of a sudden the clarity of who Christ is and what he did for him and the mercy expressed for him. And he wrote this, immediately I received the strength to believe it. And the full beams of the sun of righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made, my pardon sealed in his blood, and all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In a moment, I believed and received the gospel. My eyes filled with tears, my voice choked with transport. I could only look up to heaven in silent wonder and fear, overwhelmed with love. And wonder the appropriate response of seeing a God who rightly stands against our sin and our worship, not of him, but of self. And all of a sudden, he mercifully expresses into your life and says, I'm lavishing on you. Why? What has been done? Not because of your works, but because of him who calls the wonder of Romans nine is as we worship him, as we trust in him, we are dumbfounded with his goodness that he poured it over us when it was so unwarranted. That's our God question. Are you worshiping him for his mercy? Are you celebrating what he's offering you through his goodness? Are you seeing that God? And I'm just telling you all too often, I have people now come to the side of the one who doesn't believe and they want to put their arm around that one and say, I take this one's back. And I know they're standing against you, God, and they're horrifically rebellious, but come on. And that's a bad moment. Everybody say that's a bad moment. Now we take the side of God. And we stand beside him and we go, I can't even begin to fathom you and and all that you're accomplishing and everything I deserve. And you did this for me. Why, God? There is absolutely no reason but you alone. I worship you for eternity. You've got my attention. I pray everyone can come to know you. I long for them to see you. And I watch you do what you need to do because your glory is. You will have mercy as you see fit to have mercy. And my eyes stay fixed on you. I'm telling you, that is some hardcore worship of a massive God. That's what we're called to. His glory on display. Number four, last one. We're going to define some words here. God is free to harden as he wills. 
giving them over to follow their own sinful heart inclination. God is free to harden as he wills, giving them over to follow their own sinful inclination. And he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. For this very purpose, I have raised you up, right? Romans 13, God puts every authority in charge. Yes, even Pharaoh, the rebel heart. And yes, God's in charge of all people in charge. That's what it says in Romans 13. And he did place Pharaoh in charge. And he says that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Are you hearing a similarity to the Exodus 33? That I might show and display a part of me and that my name might be declared in all the... Are you hearing it? His glory on display. And uh, and now he goes into one last piece. I'm going to ask for some help here as some guys get an illustration set in place. And... Uh, And we're going to talk through this. So here we go. Mercy. Mercy is when we are not given what we deserve. Not given what we deserve. Please hear me on this. Mercy, it requires that you have been found guilty and that the sentence has been given. Found guilty, sentence given. And mercy comes in and says, scrap that. Mercy. Okay? Hardness, as it says here. Hardness. That is a word that means literally that God is working with a soul and he's bringing them the direction that their heart is already inclined. Isn't this nice? (laughs) Breck Nelson made this for us this week. Appreciate that, man. So this right here represents God himself. He's much bigger than this, just so we're clear. But this represents God. This is you and me. All right. So this is you and uh, our hearts are naturally inclined away from God as we run to our own nature away from him. OK, this is us in our own natural inclination. God working with us, his hands on us, even in rebellion, when we haven't believed in him and trusted him yet, even then we'll see this next week, his merciful hand on us at times, holding us at times, letting us be given over to a little more sin. And that's what God's doing. It says then that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. What is hardening? It's when God literally pulls back his merciful hand and says, I will let the natural inclination of your heart take over. And that's hardening. Okay? Hardening Pharaoh's heart. It's when he's saying, God's not the author of evil. God is not coming in and making something happen. This guy isn't sitting in neutral mode and God's like smacking him away. This is the guy's natural inclination is to move away and God's letting that happen as he takes off his merciful hand and the guy runs out to his own end hardened. All right. All right. So what does mercy look like? Can't you now get to be the hands of God? Mercy. He just changed the inclination of the heart. Are you seeing it? Let's do that again. This is against and the ball rolls away from God. Mercy as he changes the inclination of the heart. And now even of their own will, as they execute man's responsibility, They're now running towards God and they're now worshiping him with all they've got mercy, God moving in and inclining hearts towards him that they might rush towards him, believing, confessing and having faith. And the catch is this, as much as we want to stand in God's chair and try to figure out what's right and what's best, hear me on this. It is God's glory 
to decide when hearts that are inclined away from him remain inclined away from him, hardening, or when he takes them and reverses them and allows a heart to be inclined towards him. Mercy and hardening. That's what's going on. Okay? It's a huge deal. Thanks, guys. Huge deal. It was worth the prop. Because I'm telling you, years from now, you're going to still go hardening. It's when a yellow ball rose down the... It's important for us to understand that our God has amazing things in control. And please hear me on this. His name is Jesus Christ. He has come to this earth and expressed a love out as he died. He says he loves the whole world as he offers out. And get this, not one rushes to his side because of that. In rebellion standing against. And God reaches in and mercifully lifts a heart and inclines them towards him. And he's building worshipers. Let God have mercy where he'll have mercy. It's his glory. It's who he is. It's what he's all about as he's expressing into this world. And some of us are like, right? This is a big truth, man. And, and I'm good with that. And I'm okay with saying, God, there's things we don't understand in it. Just be careful on this. Our small view of all of life can't possibly Explain the whole of what God's accomplishing. Let's just say this. Let's not walk before him and try to reverse it. Am I wrong before God? As I come before him as an unbeliever, am I wrong before God? Simple answer, yes or no. Am I wrong? Yes. Yes. May I not try to turn that around and go, you hurt my feelings. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. And may we do the one thing we need to do. Get right with him. That's what we're called to. May God be glorified. May you be stunned as he's had mercy on your soul. And may we worship him with all we've got. I'm going to ask the worship team to come into place. And we're just going to spend a few minutes doing that. Let's respond like Moses responded. As all the goodness of God passed before him. As God's name was declared over him. As he said, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Moses bowed his head and worshiped. Let's just do that now as we come before him.